good morning, everybody. Welcome to Catalyst. My name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here, and I am recording this message because right now, as we speak, I am in Mexico with our Catalyst team on our summer pilgrimage. So uh, the rest of my team and I are actually probably right now at a church worshiping with some of our new friends in Mexico. And uh, we want to thank you for your prayers and continuing support for this trip. Uh, we're really looking forward to being back with you and reporting back about uh, the ways that we have encountered God down here among the Tawaramara people in Chihuahua City. Uh, but obviously today we are talking here at Catalyst about the Enneagram, which is this really cool spiritual formation tool that helps us understand ourselves and understand our neighbors and understand God better. And so I wanted to begin this morning because uh, you, you might have heard this last week that uh, the actor James Kahn died. Uh, he was famous for a lot of roles like the dad in Elf. That's him, right? Um, but probably his most famous role was as Sonny in Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece, The Godfather, which actually turns 50 this year. Uh, Buddy and I had the chance to go and see it on the big screen uh, a few months ago. And it was really cool to see that film, which I've seen a few times, obviously. But uh, see it on the big screen for the first time. It was it was a really neat experience, um, and I know we're supposed to be talking about Encanto this summer, but but bear with me, okay? Uh, the Godfather opens at the wedding of Sonny's sister, and their father is the titular Godfather, Vito Corleone, played by the one and only Marlon Brando. Uh, but the movie in its opening spends a lot of time just kind of going through this massive Italian-American wedding. You're seeing all of these different guests and relatives and all this kind of stuff. And and as the, it just keeps going and going and going, and you notice that you don't see the father of the bride, the godfather, anywhere. And that's because he's in his office uh, receiving petitioners because it's uh, apparently Sicilian tradition that on the wedding day, people can come and ask the father of the bride for a favor. And so the godfather is in his office receiving petitioners and offering to do favors uh, on the day of his daughter's wedding. That was for Nathan. Nathan uh, makes fun of how people do the Marlon Brando impersonation. So there you go, buddy. That was just for you. Um, of course, the godfather's gifts are not really gifts, right? Uh, the people who are asking for his help, they understand that his gifts come with strings attached to them. His gifts are actually what make him the godfather. Uh, and, and I can't prove it, okay? But but I wonder if Vito Corleone was an Enneagram too, because twos are known as the helpers. They'll do anything for anyone. But unless twos are really healthy, their help comes with strings attached. Uh, helping others is how they feel valuable. It's how they feel loved. It's how they feel worthy and powerful in the world. And so I wanted to start with an unhealthy manipulative two because the two in La Familia Madrigal is Mirabelle's mom, Julieta. And she's a really healthy two, which means she's a great role model for us, but uh, she doesn't do as good a job of showing us what growth in a two's life looks like as well. So today we're going to investigate the path from Vito Corleone to Julieta from the godfather to the arepa mama. Because when you're a two, when you're healthy, you are a picture of God's generosity and hospitality. You're an incredible gift to everyone who has the privilege to know you. You are. 
not the things you do for us, not the ways that you give and, and help us, but your very presence is. And the world needs the healing that you can provide. So I'm excited about today, uh, even though I can't be with you in person. And I hope you're ready to begin with some worship. If you're a guest with us, I just want to say thank you so much for being here at Catalyst. Welcome, whether you're uh, in person there in the building with Nathan and the worship team, or whether, like me, you're virtual today. Either way, we, we want to say thanks for being here. And uh, we are going to be receiving communion later in the gathering. So if you're in the building, you hopefully got one of the little communion cups by the door on the way in. You'll need that for when we receive communion together. And if you're virtual, I hope you gathered some elements. So I have a tortilla here, felt very apropos. And then I've got my cup of coffee. So uh, hopefully you'll be ready to celebrate communion with us here in a little bit. But for now, I want to hand it over to Nathan uh, to lead us in worship. So we join me in standing and singing some songs together. This summer, our goal here at Catalyst has been spiritual transformation. And so to help us get at that, we are spending some time with one of last year's biggest movies, Encanto, uh, featuring La Familia Madrigal. Uh, the, the nine magical madrigals uh, correlate with a tool that is used in spiritual formation called the Enneagram. Now, the Enneagram on its surface looks like a personality test, like Myers-Briggs or Finder or one of those, right? Um, the big difference, though, is that while personality profiles try to get at who you are, the Enneagram tries to get at who you're really not. So in the Enneagram, there are nine numbers that represent nine different kinds of personas that we create usually when we're pretty young. And the goal of the persona is to protect our true self from a world that uh, either uh, creates anger or fear or shame. And so the Enneagram is a tool that helps us diagnose this persona, what mystics and spiritual uh, directors call a shadow self, right? The shadow self that tries to protect us from the world around us. Uh, the Enneagram helps us see that, shine a light on that, and then learn how to grow past that because the truth is we don't need that as we grow. And that persona can actually keep us from knowing ourselves the way God knows us and from being the person that God created us and called us to be. So uh, throughout the series, we've been looking at the various members of the Madrigal family, right? Uh, we started in the anger triad with the, the three who either externalize anger like Abuela, the challenger, or avoid anger like Mirabelle, the peacemaker, or who internalize their anger like Isabella, the perfectionist. Uh, now today we're moving into the shame triad. So we're going to look at twos, threes, and fours who have the same kinds of relationships with shame that the first three do with anger. So today we're looking at the Enneagram 2, the helper. Uh, and this is the person who directs their shame outward. They're, they're, they're outwardly oriented towards shame. Uh in, in, in Encanto, the person that we meet who is the two is the mother of Isabella, Luisa, and Mirabel. It's Julieta. Uh, her power, as Mirabel tells us, is, is food. During her big opening musical number, she says, that's my mom, Julieta. Here's her deal. The truth is she can heal you with a meal. That's right. Julieta makes pupusas that heal cuts, illnesses, and more. It's her warm, warmth and her hospitality that is literally embodied in the food that she prepares. It literally makes people better. And I know what you're thinking, right? Like, where's the shame in that? Julieta seems like the furthest thing from same shame. She's the best. And I would agree with you, right? Julieta is a very healthy Enneagram too. And so I want to go to our book, Road Back to You, and I want to read for you what healthy 
uh, average and unhealthy two sound like. So you can tell if maybe this is you or someone you know, okay? Uh, healthy twos like Julieta, they can often name their own needs and feelings without fear of losing relationships. They're generous in their efforts to love well and care for others. These happy, secure twos also have appropriate boundaries, knowing what is theirs to do and what is not. They create a comfortable, safe space for others and are often considered to be a friend to many. Loving and lovable, they adapt well to changing circumstances and are aware of their true self that exists beyond their relationships. Again, that, that describes Julieta to a T, right? And it describes healthy twos that I know really well. What about average twos, twos that, are, twos that are still growing, right? Well, average twos are convinced that the expression of their own needs and feelings will automatically threaten the stability of their relationships. They're generous people, but they often consciously or subconsciously expect something in return for their efforts. That's that gifts with strings attached, right? They have poor boundaries and generally only know themselves in relation to other people. They are attracted to powerful people whom they expect to define them, and they'll use flattery to pull them in. And then how do you know if you know a really, really unhealthy two? Well, here you go. Unhealthy twos are codependent and their desire to be loved, they will accept almost any substitute, appreciation, neediness, companionship, and purely utilitarian relationships. These twos are insecure, manipulative, and often play the role of the martyr. They don't give so much as invest, trying to earn love by meeting others' needs, but always expecting a high return on that investment. Twos are like this. Because deep down, twos don't feel innately lovable. That's that shame thing, right? Um, twos, threes, and fours, we feel ashamed of who we at our, are at our core. And so uh, to remedy this, twos become almost hyper-focused on the people around them. They can, they can almost seem psychic when it comes to perceiving the needs of others. And twos get good at meeting those needs in exchange for gratitude, right? If a two can do something for you, they do it. And then if you respond with gratitude, a kind word, a short note, a reciprocal gesture, um, they get that love and affection that they can't get on their own, right? Because at their core, they feel shame. And that's why twos can become codependent. I mean, if you're getting any sort of love or approval from a partner, then an unhealthy two will do anything, will tolerate anything to keep it. Because when they were kids, twos learned that their own needs and desires were a source of shame. Um, you picked up the message, again, probably when you were young, that expressing your own needs or wants would lead to rejection and humiliation. And so that's that's the core lie that created the shadow that we call it too. You work so hard to meet everyone else's needs and the last thing you'd ever do is express one of your own because that's how you get rejected. So Tuesday, I want you to hear this loud and clear. You can never be rejected because God has already welcomed you. And God has the final word on who you are. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn this over to John chapter 4. Uh, we opened up this series talking about bringing our shadow selves into the light of God's loving gaze. And here in 1 John, we hear a truth that, that is certainly vital for all of us. But I think if you're a tool, it will hit you especially hard. Um, so here, here's, what, here's what 1 John says. This is real love. Not that we loved God but that God loved us and sent God's son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Friends, what is the source of our love for each other? 
It's not the shame of our shadow selves. It's God's prior love for us. The fact that God loves us frees us to love other people without strings, without conditions of any kind. So choose, again, I just need you to hear this. Before you ever did anything for anyone, when it was just you alone by yourself, God already saw you, the real you, the, the one that you hide behind your shadow. And God loves you. God sees the real you and God loves you. I want to sit with that. Well, actually, I want to stand with that because we're going to move back into singing a song together. So if you would stand, I want us to stand into the truth of that statement that God sees us for who we truly are and God loves us unconditionally. And it's that love that frees us to love without condition. Nathan, if you would. So choose, how do we, how do we learn to heal? Right? How, do we, how do we learn to rest in the light of God's loving case? Well, uh, it begins by understanding that your signature sin is pride. And I know that sounds weird, right? How can someone who's externalizing shame, uh, who, who doesn't feel innately lovable, how can that person be motivated by pride? Well, here's how, right? Though you're about the most helpful people on the planet, twos, you're the last to ask for help. Uh, you'd probably rather bite off your own tongue than vocalize your own needs. You see a world of people who need your help, but you won't ask for help yourself, even when you really need it. That's a manifestation of pride. I mean, you know deep down that giving with strings attached isn't really giving. So, too, this is going to hurt a little bit, and I want you to brace yourself because this is truth, and it's good for you. But everyone go ahead and turn with us to Matthew chapter 6. Now, this is right in the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and the whole sermon is an exercise in Jesus using the sermon to invite us to see the world a different way, to, to step into this alternate reality, one that's ruled by God's self-giving love rather than a world of giving with strings attached. And so speaking of self-giving, this particular passage that we're going to be looking at is all about giving to others, which is right up a two's alley, right? So two's, I want, I want you to hear what Jesus says about how we go about meeting others' needs. Beginning in verse one, Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, a lot of us in here are nodding our heads about this, but twos, you're squirming in your seat and maybe feeling a little put apart. After all, what's the point of giving in secret, right? Because if you do that, how can people notice what you're doing? How can you get those thanks and gratitude that, that fill you up and make you feel worthwhile? Um, I really don't want to sound trite. And, and twos, I know to you it doesn't, right? Because honestly, the worst thing you can do to a two is not show them gratitude for what they've done for you. But that's exactly why Jesus warns you not to give in a way that you're announcing your help. Help in secret. 
Because when you do that, you're exposing that secret heart, the one under the pride, the one that's afraid that if you don't contribute anything to anyone else, no one will actually love you. Afraid that no one actually cares about you. Afraid that if you speak up and share a need of your own, no one will help you. And that rejection, that's what you're afraid of. That's what you're afraid is really true, right? That no one loves you. No one actually cares about you. Running from that belief is why your shadow self works so hard to be helpful. Because as long as you're making people happy, then they must be happy with you too, right? So choose, I need you to hear this message. We want you here. You belong here at Catalyst. Uh, We love you and we care about you and your needs are important to us because they're important to you. We need your generosity and your attention to the needs of other people because this is a way that you help us reflect God to the world. You have so much to teach us. But that's not why we want you here. We want you with us simply because you're you. And just being you is more than enough to be deserving of worth, of love and dignity. If you can believe that, if you can experience God's unconditional love that will set you free so that your giving can be truly free as well. I think there's no better picture of God's unconditional love for us than here at the communion table, because there's nothing that we can do. There's no quota of good deeds that makes us worthy to sit at this table. All that is required is that we respond to God's call because God is the one who set the table for us. And so I'm going to invite you to the table today. And as we always do here at Catalyst, before we come to the table, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. I'm going to offer you some questions that you can reflect on. And then as you're ready, you're welcome to come to the table uh, after we pray together. So here's the first question I want you to consider. When in the last week have I been generous? Think about that true generosity, right? The, The no strings attached. Now, when in the last week has a lack of generosity in others made me angry?
Now, how can I make space to sit in God's loving presence this week? Not do anything, not earn anything, but simply sit in the loving presence of God. And finally, how can I be anonymously generous this week? How can I give or help in such a way that my right hand doesn't know what my left hand is doing? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today to hear again the good news of your impossible, overwhelming generosity towards us that is prior to anything we could do and without any conditions or stipulations. Uh, We pray for those among us who are Enneagram 2s who uh, particularly struggle to hear this truth that you love us so unconditionally. And we pray that we as a church would be faithful in helping them to experience your unconditional love uh, through the way that we love them as well. Thank you for the way that they model your generosity and love to us and to the world around us. We approach your table now, uh, the ultimate picture of your unconditional love for us. And we receive these elements. And as we do, we pray they would be a spiritual food for us. And then in receiving them, we would have yet again a picture of the way you love us and that we would be sent from this place to be uh, images of your great unconditional love for the world around us. We love you and we approach your table now in the same name of your son, Jesus. Uh, The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this table with his disciples. And during that meal, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, taken and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. 
And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus's death until he returns. Uh, Catalyst, as we're going this week, I wanted to offer some thank yous. Uh, First of all, thank you to all of you who are continuing to give. Uh, This summer has been very tight for us. um, And we know that uh, it's been tight for a lot of you as well. But we just want to say thank you to those of you who have been able to continue to give. Uh, If you have not, and this is something you are feeling is God's next step for you, there is a giving link in in the YouTube uh, description there to our secure giving portal. Uh, You can also find that in, in the building as well. And of course, if you're a guest with us, we are not asking you for money. We would never, we would never do that. We are just thankful you're here and your presence is, is all the gift that we would ask of you. So again, thanks for being here with us. Uh, I also want to thank our volunteers uh, our, who help us create this space every week, both the in-person space and the online space. Uh, again, really a blessing to have your faithfulness in those areas as well. Uh, now, as you're going, I have some homework assignments for you. Uh, twos. You probably guessed what yours is, and you're going to hate it, right? But this is really good for you. Uh, I want you to try some anonymous acts of service, right? See if you can be as helpful as you always are, but without getting caught. Uh, That's just going to be awful for you. Um, And I want you to take those emotions and experiences into prayer with you. Because, again, that's your shadow self trying to flail around and kick and be noticed. And so uh, don't run away from that. Instead, take that to God in prayer and see what God has to teach you when you trust that Jesus's command to give that way is good for us. Uh, Everyone else, uh, the twos twos tend to be verbal processors. And so practice being a good partner for them to talk out their feelings. Maybe maybe they're going to share with you this secret service mission that they they set out on and they just need to talk through how it made them feel. Uh, Practice being present and being a good partner for the twos to do that Um, because we need healthy twos. You are you are just such a good picture for us of the the generosity and love of God. Now, if you'd all stand, I want to dismiss us with a blessing today. Uh, Friends, you are going into a world that lives on an exchange economy, one where every gift has strings attached to it. And we have the opportunity to be an invitation into God's completely different way of doing things. So would you go this week knowing that we can be generous because God was generous to us first and God's first act of generosity frees us and empowers us to imitate. So go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we'll see you next week.